You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. I am Janice Legata, and this is a meeting of the Bad Book Club. We are reading Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, losing the plot on manhood one chapter at a time. We'll have a reading of the opening paragraph, I'll give a few thoughts, and then join one of the members of the Bad Book Club for a discussion. In the end, we'll hear the closing paragraph, and I'll give some closing thoughts, all with the intention of leaving you free to think your own thoughts about the chapter, the book, and all things really so. Without further ado, let's get into... Wild at Heart, Chapter 6. Summers in the eastern Oregon sagebrush are hot, dry, and dusty. When the sun was high, the temperature could soar into the 90s, so whenever possible we saved most of the hard labor on the ranch for the early morning or late afternoon and evening, when the cool air drifted up from the river valley below. Sometimes we'd fix irrigation ditches during the heat of the day, which for me was a great excuse to get really wet. I'd tromp along in the ditch, letting the warm muddy water soak my jeans. But most of the time we'd head back to the ranch house for a glass of iced tea. Pop loved his tea sweetened with a healthy dose of sugar, the way they drink it in the south. We'd sit at the kitchen table and have a glass or two and talk about the events of the morning, a plan he had to sell some cattle at the auction, or how he thought we'd spend the afternoon. Hello everybody and welcome back to Wild at Heart, where every day is Father's Day, or it would be if you were doing it right, but you're probably definitely not, so never mind. Anyway, you probably can't tell from that opening paragraph, but this week's chapter is all about identity, according to John Eldridge. So brace yourself for a mental health heist disguised as spiritual health as we serve some circular logic with this week's Bad Book Club member. My name is Wes, and my pronouns are he, him, his, and I am a somatic therapist, and... I come from the world of religion from childhood and adulthood and am now working with religious trauma and survivors and it's so amazing. It's so fulfilling and it's really crazy to read this book with you because I did read it in the past. I don't think I got all the way through though. I think to your point, like there was a lot of sort of rephrasing and revisiting. So I think I did end up putting it down halfway through, but it's wild to come back to it in the state of mind that I'm in now and where I am and who I am now. There's this word that, that I found it's, it's a word from the indigenous people from the Arctic regions, like Canada, Greenland, Iceland, the Inuit people. And it's like, untranslatable quote-unquote in English but there's this there's this concept of what it means so the word is court siluni and it means sitting together in the darkness perhaps expectantly waiting for something to happen or to burst forth the strange quiet before a momentous event and this word I think if I had to have a life title or like a book this word is so resonant for me because so much of my life, so much of the really momentous occasions in my life were preceded by really difficult sitting in the darkness with others or with myself in a way that was hard, but definitive for me. And I have so much appreciation now for being in sort of the unknown, because I think when I was in the religious spaces, I was addicted to what is what was certain and known and now I've had I have such a deep appreciation for the unknown so yeah we met at Hillsong very different stage Mm -hmm. of life phase of life and Mm -hmm. if I were going to pick the 10 people who were going to be with me on the outside Mm -hmm. Wes Curtis wouldn't have made the list because this white man what how for what like yeah yeah this whole system was built for him right and so to see who you've been who you're becoming who you are right now it just gets me. So even with this awful book, I'm so excited to to dive into it with you at this point. Because this, you are who this was written for. <laughs> yeah. And so now with the knowledge, the skill set that you have, with yeah. the work that you're doing now, I'm so fascinated to hear how it hits you and how it comes across. Well, I want to say, I want to say before we move on that I really appreciate you. Um, saying that about me, I feel very seen 
and it means a lot. Your words mean a lot to me. So thank you for saying that. Should we dive in? Should we? We should. Where do you want to go? So you read it before. When, how, why? Yeah, I want to say it was probably like in tw- around 2011, 2012, 2013, around there when I... When did it come out? Early, early 2000s. I, I don't think I would have read it. I think I was late. I think I was late. Because in college, I wasn't really super religious. And then when I got to New York and got involved in Hillsong, that's when I started to like add the Christian books to the queue. So I think that's probably when I did it, like 2011, 2012. And I'm sure it was recommended. You know, I, it was one of the top, you know, recommended books, especially for guys. I mean, it was the book for men to, for Christian men to read. It was the book. So, you know, I'm, I don't remember who or when or how, but I do remember it was in the ways that one would expect, you know, a church leader probably recommended it. And yeah, I remember reading it and agreeing with what I was reading. Again, I don't think I finished it, but I do remember being like, yeah, this makes sense. I should strive to do this. Like, this is great. This is, you know, I ate it up. (laughs) Which is a little frightening because, yeah, we were just talking about like the mainstream influence of this book and like the fact that still in 2011, 2012, 2013, that it was still top of the list. Mm -hmm. That's horrifying. Yeah. And it's still going. I went to the website because there's like a web. Did you see this? And like, there's still content. There's like a retreat happening in November. Yeah. And they got their field manual and like, it's a whole thing still. Yeah. Terrifying. Baffling. Terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All the things, all the worst things. Yeah. So how did you feel about the prospect of reading some of it here and now? A lot of trepidation. And a lot of, yeah, just like, oh man. I mean, I think knowing that it was going to be with you, I think if someone had said you should read it again, tell me what you think, I think you're the only one I would probably say, oh yeah, this would be fun. I mean, I don't think I would have gone anywhere near it if this hadn't been the case, but I think I think I knew that you and I would have solidarity and it felt safer to be reading it knowing that I would be processing with you but yeah, there was anxiety about, you know, what am I going to, what am I going to see in the book that I resent about my past, about myself? It's scary. Yeah. That's my whole, whole experience with captivating at this point, having awareness of just, it was a different time, but also having a lot of grace for that version of me that ate yeah. this up and was yeah. like, no, yeah, this seems right. Yeah. But I mean, we were raised to love these books. Mm-hmm. and buy mm-hmm. into them. Yeah. So we did. We were good. We were good little little Christians. <laughs> good, good little robots programmed. Oh, my gosh. Taking in the new software. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So, Every update, right on time. Yeah. So what chapter did you have, and what was it about? So I had chapter six, and the title is The Father's Voice. And it was really about, which I don't know if you thought of me or if you randomly assigned this, but I thought it was very fitting given my current placement because it was really about identity, thinking and values and behavior and the parts of ourselves that we're sort of listening to and how we define ourselves and worth. I mean, there was so much in there about like worth and identity. And so my little psychology lens was was totally buzzing reading this and thinking about it in comparison to what I know now, having gone through training and studying and all the science, all the latest science. But yeah, essentially, you know, what does God say about men and how to obey that in a way that I think is, yeah, I think it's harmful. I mean, I know that's kind of the last question. (laughs) So spoiler alert. No, that's fine. And especially at this point, it's not like... The previous discussions have been like, this book is great. And then there's yeah, just this turn. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. We're like, wait, what happened? <laughs> no. Um, I'll kind of let you take the lead because yeah. I've been in this book um, and I know my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, I have lots of little notes. I mean, we can start at about the author. There's two sentences here about him. It's just like he's a best-selling author and counselor. And that's basically the Christian. And he has a ministry that's devoted to 
helping people discover the heart of God. I mean, it's just, you know, what does that even mean? So when I saw counselor, I mean, I just have question marks. Like, what does that mean? Like pastoral counselor? Because we all, you and I know that, you know, anybody could walk up, walk into a church building and be deemed a counselor, right? And be given the authority to sit with someone and give them advice on their life, which is, you know, like negligence. That's really bad. So I was immediately like, what does that mean? You're a counselor. And I'm already, my flags are already, my red flags are already flying high. And then the introduction, Janice, I, I wrote a note that was like, cause there's this sentence, let me see. There's like these good qualities that you think that you're doing as a good Christian churchgoer, but he says many of these good qualities are the are as we know the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I wrote like we're not even halfway through the first page of the introduction, and we're already reminding everyone that the stakes here are eternal torment, like right. fear is posited from the very get-go, right? The fear of hell. And it's just so, it's cliche at this point. Like, it's just, that really hit me. So you went on the site because you saw Wild at Heart. And he's still going. Yeah. And he does have, did you look at his more extensive bio on there? No, I didn't. I just, I wanted to go, I just wanted to see if it was still going. Because you read a book that's, you know, two decades old and you wonder, if it's got a website, you wonder, is this still being maintained? Does his bio say more about his, like, credentials? It vaguely, but in a weird way. Like, nothing is clear. But when I read it, the impression that I got was that he got some kind of counseling credential. Oh. But then only practiced for... A year or two. Uh oh. And then like went into ministry. So it's like all of these stories oh. are like it wasn't he didn't counsel for long. Uh-huh. And very Colorado Springs. Uh-huh. Very Oh, I see. He earned his master's degree in counseling from Colorado Christian University. So yeah, I mean I what? like it. <laughs> <laughs> a counseling degree from a Christian university. Listen, if you want a Christian counselor, great. That's great. Listen, his audience is Christians, Christian mm-hmm. men. They want a Christian counselor. It works. It works. I think my biggest beef, and I went into this later in the book, was the supremacy of it. That's what I cannot, that's what enrages me to no end. Yeah. Listen, if you have your way of dealing or coping or conceptualizing the world, do you. But when you come and you say, everything except this way is wrong and hellbound that's when i that's when i have to say this is bullshit like this is harmful so if, like, if and i know so many people who want a christian counselor because they're christians and that's great go to a christian counselor but if christian counselors are telling non-christians you have to go to a christian counselor you know that's where it gets really just really bad anyway i'm getting ahead of myself so my impression i was just fascinated just by the information they choose to put where because like in captivating it doesn't mention he's a counselor at all which is basically like i'm a man and i wrote this with my wife and that's enough so in wild at heart he does drop oh i, I was a counselor but again like it's not it just doesn't seem like he did it for long yeah and then just based on these books and the way he's writing i'm like oh i feel like he these books both of them are for him I'm like, I don't feel like he has a strong grasp on his identity. And so yes, like, I don't know what, yes. what that would do to him as a counselor. Right. Having all these different people come in with their different problems. Right. Like, I think counseling, that's, a hard, that's hard anyway. Mm-hmm. And if you're not healthy and if you're not mm-hmm. doing things to get healthy and stay healthy, I think you get burned out pretty quick. And I right. feel like that's what happened to him. Right. And you're imparting lived experience that if it's not working for you, if you're not maintaining yourself, you're imparting that to others. You're being put in a position where you're advising others. Yeah. I think one, I think at one point when I was reading this chapter and you would probably know this because you've read all the other chapters before this one, at one point he said something and I thought to myself exactly what you just said. Did, does he have an unresolved like wounded relationship with his own father that he's kind of like this book is sort of him working that out. Like that's what it kind of felt like to me. And I don't know if the previous chapters speak to that. 
previous chapters too. Like I think he's got a lot of unresolved issues. <laughs> That's so what it this, feels like. It yeah, it feels very unresolved yeah. and very circular because he tells yes. all these stories of like different types of men, and it's the same in captivating where it's like there's no. You just keep saying what people are doing wrong, but there's no indication of what even the right way is. I think I did find that. I think I did find his, because that was also, as I was reading, I was like, okay, I'm seeing, don't do this, don't do this, you know, leave this, die to this. It's like, well, then what, what's the objective? What's the mission here? And, you know, he would basically say things like, seek God. I mean, the last part, I feel like we're jumping all over the place, but like the last part is like, seek God not women right. which like came out of nowhere like nowhere also it's like just this clear like dichotomy of like god holy pure right women bad wrong evil he says adam did not sin adam he's like adam didn't choose to sin. he didn't choose to sin he chose eve over god basically made eve his god and then that's what men have been doing ever since right right which i don't know i mean the christian view of the creation narrative and that story is pretty dark anyway right right but like i've thought of the story of adam and eve in the sense like man like that what an act of grace to like make another human for a human because imagine if it was just you and god and you fell yeah yeah and then you're by yourself yeah. Like, cause now uh-huh. I can't communicate with the only other person, soul, whatever I've been communicating with. Right. But to have another person to be like, oh, well, at least we're in this together. Uh-huh. Like, it, it just doesn't have to be this dark, oh, I doomed myself and now I'm dooming you too. Yeah. Like, cause if you are going to take that route, well, then we could also say, well, Adam basically stood by and watched Eve be poisoned and then was like, oh, you're fine? Yeah, let me try it now. But, like, made her the canary in the mine. So it's like, that's not love. Yeah. And one of the things in reading this chapter is, like, it reminded me how infuriating I get when people take the Bible and they just sort of, and God, too, conceptually, you know, God wants us to do this. And they can twist it in any way they want to serve whatever point they want to make, you know. And it's like, yeah, like, something I wrote was, like, with this Adam and Eve part, I said the intellectual circusry is dazzling. Like the ultimate blame landing on the woman and man falling for her sin is like pitting God against Eve. And like, how do you not read this and absorb this message and not absorb sexism? You know, that women are bad, that sex is bad. And that in and of itself is right. Systemically just like toxic. But then the shame that men feel. This was one of my biggest takeaways from this chapter. Because if we follow his steps, if we deny our sexuality or deny being attracted to women, I mean, at one point he was like, when this guy was attracted to this woman, I was like, you need to go break up and be with God for a year. Like denying these human experiences leads to shame it leads to disintegration. It leads to acting out because we only men are only given these little narrow ways of being able to express ourselves. And it leads to splitting. I've known so many people in like the religious communities where there's this splitting that happens psychologically where it's like there's this good self that we have that like prays and reads the Bible and goes to church and sings the songs. And then there's this bad self that we do only in the you know when we're alone and no one knows about it and we're so ashamed about it but the two don't communicate right because they can't because the good self can't have the bad stuff and it's so sad it's so sad and in order to succeed in these systems and these churches and these communities we have to maintain the splitting and it's and it's there aren't a lot of ways to integrate them without being shunned or you know losing your communities and losing your, you know, your godly identity. Yeah. And what's wild is that the bad stuff, and we are splitting ourselves up 80% of the time, it's not, it's just human. It's like, human. it's not it's even, just it's human. just sexual attraction. Right. It's just, right. It's not murder. 
It's not right. Like the heinous things, like it's the human things, but that we've been taught we're not supposed to feel. And right. I have to be in control of this part of me. So mm -hmm. I can't do anything sexually, so I cannot be sexual. So I can't even get close to that line. So mm -hmm. I can't even like someone. Mm -hmm. I can't even figure that part of my life out. Mm -hmm. It just has to be no. And so then when you make everything, everything is darkness now and everything is a secret, the lines get so messed up because yeah. like how many Christians think they are the worst sinners and doing the worst things and like you're literally just being human. You're just feeling things. And then there's this sort of idealized martyrdom that comes into, which I think is part of his, in this chapter, he talks about being initiated. And at first I was just so confused, you know, like you're, to your point, there's so much vagueness around his points, but I finally think that I was capturing like initiation, according to him, is really this deep experience of suffering, which reminded me of a lot of Christians that I know that really anchor their identities into suffering as a very holy experience and one to be um, sort of to really idolize and I think to some extent perpetuate like I think sometimes I wonder if people are like I need to be suffering like suffering means I'm holy suffering means I'm being initiated suffering means I'm closer to God and look I think suffering is a part of life and I think that suffering breeds so much richness and teaches us so many lessons and suffering you know suffering really does temper our ourselves but there's this distortion that i've seen with christianity where this idea of suffering is like i'm being a martyr I, god is causing the suffering but it's like caught up in that gaslighty thing of like god is causing this suffering but because god is good and loves me the suffering is also good which i mean we i mean if we don't have to talk about how that really excuses and covers up abuse the concept of being loving and causing suffering and how that's sort of okay and how that really fucks with your experience of others causing you harm, especially if they're an authority. But yeah, when he was talking about initiation and martyrdom, I was realizing how, to your point of when you're in this darkness and you're suffering, the cycle is I'm having these human experiences that religion is telling me are wrong and shameful but they're natural, so I keep having them. So I'm suffering because I'm having them and they're wrong and shameful, but God says suffering is good and holy, so that brings me back. So it's just this sort of circular experience that we just get caught in and we spiral in and and there's no way out. And it's really bad. It's really sad. It, it breaks my heart. And in one that a spiral that I know well and I know many people are in and have been in. Yeah, and it doesn't end. This book is very scripture light and very movie heavy. Like, uh, yes. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I gotta find my comment about the movies. He loves a movie more he, than anything. But not just any movie. Let me see. What did I say about the movies? Cause, yeah, because he's talking about this initiation. So then he uses Gladiator, and then he uses that part where uh -huh. you know where Maximus is saying all the things that have happened to him. Uh -huh. and I'm like, what is like? Are you? Is this initiation like does a man have to go through this much? Uh-huh. And from reading the previous chapters, he loves a white colonizing yes. you know, movie. He yes. also loves a movie where the hero, his wife, love interest has been murdered in some brutal way. Oh. He is fine with women being the sacrifice that right. sets this man off on his great journey. Right, right. Gladiator, Braveheart, right. Legends of the Fall. You know, hey, if the woman's got to go, she's got to go. We're, we're better for it. As long, yeah, as you find your place in the sun and your purpose in That's life. That's what matters. That's definitely involves defeating, murdering, yes. brutalizing yes. somebody else. Exactly. And it's, again, it's what we were saying before. It's not even implicit. It's so clear. It's like, here's what's valuable about these movies and here's what's valuable about men. I wrote like after his third movie, at the end of his, at the end of the chapter after the third movie reference, I said, look, here's another movie 
used to idolize achievement, competition, supremacy, and conquering. Like those are like those are the movies he's talking about. I mean, he literally idolized Robert E. Lee. Ugh. Hold up, where is it? Where is it? Yeah. Hold up. Okay, I said did not age well. <laughs> Idolizing a Confederate general and modeling after the way he gave men a purpose mm -hmm. to what conquer and colonize others. Is that what this book is saying? Is at the heart of men? This is great. I like the, I like what I said here because look, I guess that's right in a way, right? This primal archaic urge to survive, it means eliminating threats. I get that. But what does eliminating threats look like in 2022 and for men now? So I've t I talked to my friend about like white male anger recently, and he was positing that generationally, historically, white men have always had to fight to either take over or conquer or defend and hold land like there's always been this like i need to like i'm under attack and what my point earlier about like yes it is deep in the heart of men to protect themselves from threats and to survive but we haven't evolved we're still like back we're still back defending are like lands from the others or taking over lands because that's where our worth is. And for someone to write a book in the year 2000 saying we need to, this is how we're initiated. This is how we get our worth and our value by having these, this is what wild at heart is. It's like you said, it, it's terror. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Because we're, conti we're continuing to instill these deep-seated values that are at the heart of people storming the Capitol on January 6th. Right. That's what this book is encouraging. Go out there and take what's yours. You don't have value unless you're being what a man is, which is standing his ground, attacking the enemy. Who's the enemy? We're, right. This is us. We're attacking ourselves, right. both outwardly and inwardly. Right? Violence to another is violence to myself. How are we not learning this yet? I'm getting so worked up. But this is, I mean, the Robert E. Lee, I mean, what? In 2000, that was a bad look. Yeah. So imagine reading it as a black woman. And it's not because you don't have other examples. Like, you literally have pitted him against Ulysses S. Grant. Like, as if the people in Grant's army didn't have a great leader or didn't you know didn't feel something but because right. you are also taking this from another movie like you're taking all of these fictional stories and here was this great scene and here's what these men said and it's like this is fiction this is scripted stuff and you are using this to say what a real man is mm -hmm. and it's it is terrifying because mm -hmm. what nowhere like jesus barely makes an appearance in this chapter mm -hmm. so i'm like there are things for men to fight against if you want to fight something mm -hmm. but look at what was jesus fighting mm -hmm. who were his enemies and those and if you want to fight something fight capitalism fight right. systemic racism Empire. fight patriarchy yeah fight yeah. fight all of these things there is land for you to take mm. for all of us there is, there are things we, you can be fighting for. There are people to defend. Yeah, to make the world better, mm -hmm. including yourself as men, mm -hmm. right? To not buy into stuff like this. But like this just, this really just ramps up this aggression yeah. and this feeling like, oh, as a man, I'm justified in being aggressive right. and animalistic. Right. And like, I shouldn't have to control that. But then it's also so circular and just... Like, again, mm -hmm. what do you want? Because there's the part mm -hmm. where he says, you know, some men, basically, you might need to go home and, you know, be tougher with your wife. And oh some my of God. you, you know, know, if you're beating your wife, you might need to go home and stop. But, like, it's like, what? wait, what? Yeah, he was like, some of you that don't rock the boat with your wife, you need to go rock the boat. That is, like, there's no context to that. That You're just giving a blanket instruction. If you haven't rocked the boat lately, go rock. Why? Go rock the boat. Uh, yeah. 
Like, are people doing this? I want to know who did this. Who read this and went home and was like, all right, you need to get in the kitchen. What do you mean? Get in the, you said you were going to cook tonight. Lasagna is your night. No, tonight you're doing it. Well, that's not really nice. Well, I'm not nice anymore, okay? I know who God says I am. Like I'm a real man now. <laughs> You're welcome. You're <laughs> welcome, honey. Also, what's a seagull? He was like, there are these names. You know, God will give us our name, and we'll, we'll we won't find the name Mama's boy or Fatty or Seagull. The fuck is a seagull? Seagull was one of the previous stories for one of his counseling oh. sessions. But like, yeah, he's like, oh, you're always squawking like a seagull. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, this book, this is journal entries. This should have stayed this in the draft. This is definitely journal entries. Yeah. This is you working your stuff out because this is not, it's not good. He talked about Psalm 193, which, you know, it's a beautiful psalm, but it's just used so much by Christians to... I think it really speaks to the need that everyone has for inherent worth. And, you know, you were knit together before you were born. You were knit together and beautifully and wonderfully made. And we all have this need, right? We all have the need to be validated and have this idea, this understanding that we're inherently beautiful and worthy. And I think Psalm 93 is this really clear direct way that Christians use Christianity and the Bible to meet that need. But when he's talking about the false self, thwarting the false self, and there's a lot of psychological theories about something very similar when it comes to like ego development and, you know, if I, as I'm growing up, if I am in a chaotic home and I'm young and my parents are fighting all the time and they're not able to sort of emotionally nurture me when there's high states of anxiety around the home and I can't tolerate what's happening because I don't understand why my caregivers are so mad at each other and then mad at me. So I might go retreat to my room and work on my homework and work on my schoolwork. And I find that I'm really good at that and that gives me a place of solace and peace and comfort. And then as I grow up, I continue to use that as my strategy of like, I'm just going to focus on my schoolwork. And people are like, you're so smart. You start to you learn these strategies that can be beneficial and very functional at the time. This is a lot of what we do in therapy, right? We're looking at what are the strategies I have now that I learned from when I was young that were necessary when I was young that now are limited in some ways that are causing me to be blocked in some areas. And so this idea of like, my false self being my overachiever self who gets all the good grades and is really successful in business, but I'm kind of unfulfilled deep down. Something's missing, which is kind of like a, one of the, one of the real linchpins of the draw of Christianity, right? The God sized hole. But we look at that in psychology and it's there. There's a lot of congruence to what he's saying, but the issue is it feels like his take on it is so unaware because the idea of using religion is of itself a protective strategy to say seek god go through a, go through an initiation die to yourself and seek god that in and of itself is a strategy for us to cope with life seek god go to god get mm-hmm. what you need from god and we do that to make our suffering and our uncertainties, what I was saying to you at the beginning of the podcast, me getting more comfortable with not knowing. In Christianity, when we have our not knowing, we go to certainty to help ease the pain of that in order to make what's intolerable more tolerable. I mean, I think that if there's like, if I had to encapsulate what does psychology do, what do we even look at in therapy? We look at how are we making the intolerable tolerable? How are we coping? How are we making sense of it? What are our thinking and behavior doing so that we can cope with shitty things that happen in life? And I said, my biggest struggle right now is I'm so mad at religious doctrine that teaches the only way to have a life. He said, Christ used the word life, but he meant like psyche or soul. And I said that religion teaches the only way to have life or like a healed soul or psyche is to die to everything except for God, the Bible, the church. 
but that's just one way that humans use to protect themselves, which is great, which is what I was saying to you at the beginning. Like, please, if you, and I've, I don't know that I'll ever change my mind. I might, but I, at this point in my life, I'm not going to go tear down a Christian's strategy. Like I'm not going to barge into a church and be like, y'all need to tear all of this down because this, you might think this is helping you, but you're actually like deceiving yourself from, from the way life really is because some people need, some people need these things to help them. But it's like, I feel like that's what he's saying about everything that isn't Christian, where he's saying like, he's invalidating and telling people to tear down all of their strategies very recklessly, by the way, like he's very clear in that whatever you're using as a false self, completely discard it. That's really harmful. Like psychologically, that's a really harmful advice to give because what if I just tore down all my defenses, the things that I use to like support myself, I could have a nervous breakdown. I could go like psychotic. I could be suicidal. People do. Right. So it's really frustrating to me that, there's this double standard and the supremacy, which is what I was saying at the beginning. He's saying, tear down all those things, use this thing, because this thing is the best and the only way. In fact, everything else is bound for hell and shameful. Right. So you wonder why people split, right? If those are the stakes, if everything outside of this box, everything, literally everything except what we're saying is not allowed, yet to your point, it's human experience. Anyway, we're revisiting all this, but... Sorry, now I'm circular. Maybe I'm just getting it from the chapter. Oh no, you're wild at heart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But that idea of the false self, like, is that even, if I have become an overachiever, if I do have my defense mechanisms, none of that is all of who I am, but it is some of who I am. Yeah, there are some things that are coping mechanisms that I can go, oh, I don't, I never need that again. Right. But there are parts of being an overachiever that work. Right. Will always work. And right. that I still like. And that, right. you know, right. the same with Christianity. There's a lot that I've thrown uh-huh. out. Yeah. But there are some parts that I'm still thankful for and That's... can, you know, look back and be like, oh, no, I needed that at that time. And the whole Bible now, oh, I don't need it like that. I don't use it like that but I still enjoy bits of it, or I still like looking at it through this new lens now. And like this idea of just, no, here's the one way and you have to tear everything down. I'm like, that's not even biblical. Like when Jesus tells that, you know, you don't just go lay hands suddenly on someone or like cast out, don't cast out this one demon. Cause if you haven't done the work, seven more are gonna come back. Like you don't just rip things away from people, especially that's... if they're not ready. Yes. And if they don't even know what you're doing. Yeah. And you're it's not so beautifully put. Giving them anything new. No. Because how even as a Christian, if you're reading this book, like it just adds like this other layer of kind of shame and oh my goodness, because allegedly I've had God this whole time. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I've been doing my best this whole time. Exactly. But it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. And so now I've got to go do something extreme mm-hmm. and like prove that, you know. No, I'm a real man now. God, you mm-hmm. can initiate me because I'm mm-hmm. going to go home and yell at my wife. I'm going to I'm going to go home and stop being nice because that's not who you are. That's not what you want from me. Right. Meanwhile, the other guy who's been hitting his wife this whole time. Oh, I've got to go home and not hit her mm-hmm. today because that's what mm-hmm. you want from me. Mm-hmm. So it's just this idea that whatever you are is not what God wants. That's not what he's wanted. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be something else. Mm-hmm. What exactly? Mm-hmm. We don't know because we don't have the movie for that yet. I think you've captured it so profoundly, Janice. And it reminds me of the most gut-wrenching experience I had when I was deconstructing. Was I was listening to a meditation And there were three words that were really the theme of it. And the goal was to just hear it, to say it, and believe it. And the three words were, I am good. And they said it over and over. And so I said it over and over. And it was just my whole body 
just became like inflamed and like warmth and like purging and it just ignited me in the most beautiful way of me actually believing I am good. I've always been good and I'll always be good. And it's the antidote to what you're describing of I will always have I'm I was born depraved. I was born sinner. I'm I will I, every day I sin, I will keep sinning until heaven. So I have to continually strive for this unrealistic goalpost that keeps getting moved and to just deep down tell myself and repeat it and bathe in I am good was liberating was an understatement. I mean, it was so transformative and everything that you just said really captures, I think, the crux of the dilemma that legalism finds us in, that religious doctrine really kind of pigeonholes us into. Yeah, because Christianity, again, it just has that dark worldview. And so even just saying, oh, like, I am good, it's not even about, like, it's not just about, oh, do I believe that? But it's like, how prideful is that of me to say that? That's blasphemous. Like, I think I'm good. No one is good, but God, like, the programming is so deep. Yeah. It's... It's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. It wears away. It wears away at our worth. And so it's this catch 22 where it's like, okay, the Bible and the preaching and the doctrine tells me that I'm worthless. But then this guy's writing books telling me that I can only get my worth by listening to what God says. But God's saying that I'm a sinner and only through death and suffering am I worth something. But that makes me feel worth. So it's just this like continual. Right. And this whole point, like in the chapters leading up to this, so in four and five, were that all of this worth for men, you can only get from your father. So if your father messes up at all, you already have this wound. Because then he talks about it like it seems cruel, but like God will use your wound to Mm -hmm. kind of wound you further Mm -hmm. to, you know, get at you. But it just, again, I was like, oh, this book hates women because it blames mothers for ruining boys wanting boys to be safe wanting boys to be nice Mm -hmm. you know trying to strip away their instincts and then it's really up to the fathers fathers are basically they're the only parent that really matters for boys you basically like you have to let your boys go away with their dads and like that's the main thing Mm -hmm. but then talks about how fathers fail because they have their wounds from Eve because what she did. So like men aren't even able to be good fathers. Right. So then it all comes back to God. So then you have to go to God. Mm -hmm. But then all of it at this point just falls apart for me because I'm like, I don't, the whole creation narrative is just whack for me Mm -hmm. because if God created everything, everything was good. And then by this one action, now evil is running rampant and we are mm-hmm. all naturally, we're just born bad and that's mm-hmm. just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But then when Jesus came and if what Jesus did didn't cancel that out, then this whole, it's pointless really mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, evil is stronger than good. Mm-hmm. It won. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's had us from the beginning uh-huh. and nothing God has done since has counteracted that. So... I don't know. We're all just kind of lost out here because if I, like, I could just be born bad off of the decision two people made way back when, uh-huh. but now I individually have to find this mysterious God and figure out what he wants from me because uh-huh. it's nothing that I've been doing because he has to thwart me, uh-huh. take away everything that I've been using, wound me in my wound, uh-huh. and then... I don't know. We just hope for the best, I guess. Well, and plus, Janice, the people that you're looking at, that so to your point, this is what, okay, so this is what you're prescribing me that I need to do. But the people that are doing that are failing at life, right? The people, like he, he mentions like, oh, you'll know the tree by its fruit. So look at the fruit, look at the fruit. And he says like, if you drink from the well of God, you won't be thirsty. So then tell me, like, did Brian Houston drink from the well of God? Like what, so his fruit is all torn up, 
so all riddled with toxins. Carl Lentz, like these are people that in the same breath we were saying aspire to be like this person. And they were essentially saying, be like me. John Eldridge is essentially saying, be this way. I know how to be. And yet look at the fruit. Look at the, So which is it? Right. Right. And I would say from Brian Houston, Carl Lynch, John Eldridge, as much as he's saying thwarting, thwarting the false self, all you guys are showing is a false self. Like Christianity makes great pretenders. You are wonderful actors. And you're putting on these shows and saying, be like me, be like this role that I'm playing. But behind the scenes, y'all are more messed up than the rest of us. And so I don't, it's like you want to thwart this particular false self in favor of a new one. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. And again, Janice, I'm like, let's just call a spade a spade. Like church, like the whole church, the LGBTQ issue, right? Like just be clear. Just be clear. We think being gay is is evil. But don't lure me in and be like, God loves everybody. Like, just be clear, right? I don't, that false, don't do that false self, do this. Don't do that strategy, do this strategy. This is a strategy, like, but all of the facade of like, this is the supremacy, you know, that's where I'm like, oh God, I just, I can't, it's, drives me up the wall. It drives me up the wall. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's unaware. It's immature. Don't do this. And the black and white nature of teaching people, it's immature. Like that's how we teach kids, you know, do not go in the street, right? That we have to teach it that, that basic because Mm -hmm. they don't know yet a highway, the cars go faster. So I need to be a lot more cautious. If it's like an old road, dirt road that nobody comes down, I probably would be okay. I just need to stay aware. We just have to say, don't go in the street, right? That's the, that, because that's where they're at conceptually. So, so teaching in this way is so immature. It doesn't allow for the nuance that you were, you were saying you have things from Christianity that you still hold to at that time. You have a lot of grace for that. There's certain strategies that may be like a false part, but it serves you. All that nuance is very mature, developed reasoning. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately what we're all as a society, I I hope like working towards and evolving towards is getting away from that, like black and white and more towards for me, what does this look like for me? And where is my functioning optimal and where is it hard and how can I tweak it? But all within the realm of acceptance and compassion, like you said so beautifully, you were like, that's where I was then. And I needed that. And that's okay. I'm good. I've always been good. (laughs) Yeah. And it, this book could have been a beautiful pamphlet. Like because an email. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That just said, there is no one way to be a man. Yeah. You're good. You're good. You're okay. Yeah. But this book says there is no one way to be a man, but the way you're doing it. You can know that for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. The one takeaway is you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. So buy this book, buy five other books for your friends to give away, and let's spread the word. We're not doing it right. We're not doing it right. And yeah, I don't looking at it now from just the bigger view and then just looking at where we are and like this whole Christian nationalism thing. I'm like, oh, like this has been, this was seated in this book. This mm-hmm. has been growing mm-hmm. this whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's great. It's great to be here now and to have this awareness and to be able to look at this book and be like, oh, this is awful. But it's terrifying. The damage. That's already done and that is still being done because people are still picking this up today and being like, oh. And building on these concepts. Yeah. So I'm halfway through the book now and I'm like, dreading i'm like because what do people if they finish this book what does a man walk away with at the end i think he walks away with shame and i think he walks away with repression and splitting and a disintegrated identity where he's having to juggle what he knows he's being told is right versus what his human experience is and I think that he acts out as a result. He acts out in anger and aggression 
and harms other people and himself. Which is dangerous for men, but extremely dangerous for women. Yeah. Because, again, this book has a very flippant, very low view Mm -hmm. of us and Mm -hmm. our place Mm -hmm. in these stories, aside from being responsible Mm -hmm. for so much of what ills the world and men Mm -hmm. in particular. And it continues to reinforce relegating not only women physically, but the feminine energies and the feminine qualities and traits that men have access to. So there's this literal oppression of women as a demographic, and then there's this oppression of the feminine within us. So we're not fully ourselves and integrated, and that distortion continues to just perpetuate these harmful cycles. So. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so, who is this book for? <laughs> you mean, who did he write it for? Or who is it for, in my opinion, today? Or what do you mean? Uh, both. I think he wrote it. I think he wrote the book for John Eldridge. And he tapped into an experience that reverberated with a lot of other men who also are have unprocessed, unresolved identity, worth, shame, you know, situations. I don't think anyone should read it now. I think it's, yeah, I don't think it's for anyone today. So looking at it from the perspective <laughs> that everything is permissible, uh-huh. <laughs> but not everything is beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, on a scale from one to ten, ten beneficial for everyone. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Deserves all the acclaim it got and everyone should read it. Yeah. Down to one, harmful for everyone, yeah. recommend it to the trash only. Yeah. Where would you put this book? I'm a strong one. I'm a strong one. Even that, because as I was thinking about that, like even the glimmer for me is like getting men to think about what's a false self, like introducing this concept that I'm not necessarily, there's more to me, maybe I'm a little more complex, or introducing to men that, I can be kind or I can be vulnerable. Like these are sort of ideas that I think are good to can, to grapple with, but he delivers them in such a blunt, harmful way that I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say, yeah, check it out. There's some good tidbits. No, I wouldn't even say that. It's not worth it. No. It is a shit sandwich. Great bread, but. Yeah. Oh, is that brioche? Yeah, it's really good. But yeah, yeah. That away. shit is also really high quality <laughs> right. in the worst way. It's fertilizer. Ooh. Yeah. Put uh, it on your garden. Put it in your garden. Right. Not Throw, in your yeah. mouth. You don't want that. Do not ingest. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to throw this question at you. In your work, I guess, how hopeful should we be like are things Mm -hmm. are men getting better are things getting better here's the thing when I sit down with a patient and I see unfiltered raw vulnerability and motivation and humility and the desire to be healed. Nothing moves me more, gives me more hope, and energizes me more than seeing that happen. And it happens with men all the time. And there are days when I leave work and I am so inspired by my patients. So yes, And societally, Janice, I don't know. Societally, I don't know what the tide will bring. It's difficult for me to watch January 6th and say with confidence that I'm hopeful that men are evolving. I see it on individual scales every day. On the greater scale, 
I can say that I hope that'll be the case, but this is the Quartz Saluni for me. This is the sitting in the unknown, right? And I'm sitting in it with you, and I'm sitting in it with others who see the terror, who see the writing on the wall, They see you see the signs and the seeds, you see all of this stuff. And I'm sitting with you and saying, I don't know, but I really hope so. I really hope so, because I know that, that they're capable. I know they're capable. Oof. So, instead of wild at heart, what is something wild, whatever that means to you, that you would recommend? I don't, um, therapy. Like, I mean, <laughs> I just recommend therapy, right? Because for a man, you can go into a room, they don't know you, they're not going to tell anyone, you're, you know, your street cred isn't going to be jeopardized. Like, you can go in and you can be real and you can explore these things. So, yeah, therapy. Oh, well, do you want to give men, and maybe we'll focus on New York, wants to start therapy tomorrow, where do they look? Yeah, so I would recommend men in New York. I mean, mean, AEDP is the... Listen, any therapy is fantastic. If I had to be really picky, I would say AEDP, which is a very specific experiential therapy that focuses on emotional awareness and regulation. I'm at a practice called Downtown Somatic Therapy. But there's plenty of amazing clinicians that practice it all over the nation. Yeah, that's what I would say. And any closing thoughts, final words? I don't know how you found the resolve to read this whole book. So nothing but respect and admiration for you, Janice. I just have so much appreciation for you. And these. I always look forward to these moments, but I'm always reminded at how... They're better than I even look forward to and expect. So I'm just appreciative of you and for you taking me along for the ride. And yeah, that's all that I can think of. Well, I appreciate you coming along for the ride. And yeah, as often as I can drag you in, I will. (laughs) So thank you and my apologies. No, this was great. This was so worth it. Like, you know what I mean? Like me reading it and... This was so, this was such a huge payoff. So nothing to apologize for. And in closing. To a young man who had never been without a girlfriend since the eighth grade, I gave the advice that he should break up, call off all dating for one year. From the look on his face, you'd have thought I told him to cut off his arm or something worse. Do you see what is at work here? Notice that the struggle with pornography or masturbation is most difficult when you are lonely or beat up or longing for comfort in some way. This will become more intense as you get closer to your wound. The longing for the ache to go away and the pull toward other comforters can seem overwhelming. I've watched it in many men. I know it in myself. But if this is the water you are truly thirsty for, then why do you remain thirsty after you've had a drink? It's the wrong well. We must reverse Adam's choice. We must choose God over Eve. We must take our ache to him. For only in God will we find the healing of our wound. I think it's interesting how the timing worked out to where this episode is coming out right after the release of the first two parts of the Secrets of Hillsong docuseries, and we just happened to briefly mention Carl Lentz and Brian Houston in this episode, which doesn't always happen, but, you know, it's just such a timely example of the fruit of this kind of theology. Evangelical manhood is just not all it was cracked up to be, not for anyone involved. It's just too small, and it's such a waste. The energy that it takes to try and figure out what kind of man John Eldridge thinks each man should be and to try to become that could be much better spent exploring what kind of man you'd like to be and finding ways to move in that direction. So thank you for joining me for this chapter of Wild at Heart. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than I did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, a Legata Scratch production, and a God is Not Given side hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of jobly and job willing patrons like FTW. Thank if you. If you're enjoying FTW. this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or review. And if you'd like more info on how to become a monthly supporter and get access to bonus episodes, hit the show notes for the links. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. I am Janice Legata, and this has been an episode of Bad Words, but here, are some good ones. So I do have a platform of sorts. I have the therapy room and I do work with men and I give them permission to go beyond gender norms, conditioning, and really explore what's typically discouraged by men. So their emotional spectrum, you know, outside of anger and aggression. So sadness, fear, joy, and also 
to explore what deep relational connection means, like caringly sitting in vulnerability together. And I think those things are really beneficial. And I think there's a book called It's Not Always Depression by Hilary Jacobs Hendel that I would, if I had to sort of recommend a book to men, um, it really goes into a lot of the same questions and themes that that I think John's trying to address in this chapter of identity and attachment needs and emotional you know, experiences in a way that I think men historically have been discouraged at engaging with. And it was transformative for me and it's been transformative for others. So yeah, 